My name is Jenna. I can't tell you my last name. I wish I could. But I can't even tell you what town I live in or what state. We have to disguise our identities, we Fandalites. It's not about being shy. It's about staying alive. If the Yerks ever learn who we are, this podcast will be done for. Fandalites. Uh, today we're reading book four, The Message. Uh, this book opens with Cassie and Tobias having a little bit of a romp with a fox, uh, another sort of animal interlude. Phrasing. Uh, yeah, during which they uh, discover that they are having the same dream. A dream that suggests that there is some, uh, probably Andalite, some sort of alien trapped beneath the sea in a sunken spaceship. They discuss this with the rest of the group, and one of the other Animorphs brings footage of a news report that shows some metal with some Andalite text inscribed on it that had washed up on a beach. So the rest of the Animorphs go to the beach to try and uncover some more information where they are promptly shot at by some members of the sharing. Uh, discovering that it's maybe a little bit too dangerous to be themselves and humans around this area, they acquire some dolphin morphs from the gardens, which raises some interesting questions to Cassie about the morality of morphing into an intelligent animal. With the dolphin morphs, they go into the ocean and are not very productive, but they manage to save a whale from being attacked by some sharks. And Cassie has a moment of communion with the whale that they save, uh, in which the whale imparts upon her the information that they are searching for, for the location of the spaceship. Uh, they sort of hang out on land a couple more days before getting around to actually saving the Andalite, but they return to the ocean as dolphins, uncover the sunken Andalite ship with a, a new Animorph member, Axe. After they've recovered Axe, they return to the ocean as dolphins where uh, Visor 3 hounds them down with yet another crazy space morph, chases after them through the ocean where they are saved by a bunch of whales, friends of the whales that they had saved earlier. Uh, they manage to run Vizzer off, but they don't finish him off because they're whales and they're gentle, but they do shepherd the rest of the Animorphs back to shore safely. After that adventure, Cassie returns to the gardens after dark to commune with the dolphins a little bit longer and to sort of thank them for their contribution to this mission. So I was particularly excited about reading this book because uh, when we started doing this podcast, I googled around a little bit to see if I could find some of my old fandom activity from back when I was super into Animorphs. Uh, so I looked up my old AOL account name <laughs> and I googled that and I found a GeoCity site a GeoCities specifically guest book that I had yes. left a message in from back when guest books were a thing yes. that you filled out on sites. And among this guest book, they had certain questions. You know, you ask the little survey questions like, who's your favorite character? Um, that sort of thing. And it, the information I filled out said 
that my favorite book was book four and book 19. I don't know why. I, I, I mean, book four is basically a Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper. That's, <laughs> yeah. It is the most 90s of the Animorphs books we've read so far, so I can definitely see why young Jenna was into that. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, book 19 now. Now that I know it was one of Young Jenna's favorites. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm I so my okay, my best clue as for why book 4 was my favorite is the other questions on the survey asked me what my favorite character was, which was Rachel. Uh, it asked me what my favorite villain was and I wrote down Halicroms. Does that sound at all familiar? Can you spell that? H A L I C R O M S. Holocroms? I feel like that might come up during the Megamorph. Oh, I could see that. I have no, I have absolutely no memory of what that is. I don't even know if that's a specific alien or a species of alien. I, I, it makes me think of the Elemist, which we have not hit yet. And oh, I, yeah. I don't really remember anything about other than that it's there. So it, it is perhaps the other, I don't know, we'll find out. Yeah, we will. I, I feel like the Elemist, in my mind, is very much like Q from Star Trek. Yes. Sort of an omnipotent asshole who's just sort of hanging around. God, yes. The survey also said that my favorite alien was Axe. And I think maybe that's why book four was my favorite, because it's our first introduction to Axe. Now, uh, his name is like a tribe called Quest. Can you say the whole thing? Ooh, I absolutely cannot. Uh, <laughs> let me Let me hold on. Let me scroll in the book and see if I can find... The location where they actually say it and then I'll, I will do my my very best it looks like Aximili Esgaruth Isthil nice yeah you've got <laughs> you've got some way more uh like Tolkien elvish pronunciation going on with that than I would have but uh that's I think that hits it on the head Okay, that's my best guess. I'm glad they shortened it to X. I I remember, I also distinctly remember as a kid not knowing how to pronounce any of these words because I only ever read them and I never, never said them out loud. Well, according to the, uh, according to the Animorphs Alliance Flash newsletter that I received, uh, the interview with Kay Applegate in there, a lot of these words, she just came up by smashing things together and then playing with it till it sounded vaguely like the concept she was going for. So I don't think, I don't think she knows how to pronounce these. Okay, that's that actually does make me feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I think Axe was my favorite, and maybe that's why I liked book four. I, I want to pretend that it's because, like, young Jenna was, like, super hip to morality and, and animal ethics, but for sure not. That is for sure not what it was. But And it definitely wasn't just because teenage Jenna was really into dolphins. No, teenage Jenna was very into horses. She was a oh, horse girl for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. The, the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. There's two the, two types of girls growing up. Horses, the dolphins of the land. Yes, and dolphins, the horse of the seas. Right, not seahorses, which you might think, but those yeah. are actually the chicken of the sea. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean the whole the whole dolphin aesthetic. It, oh, so it, you were right with that Lisa Frank dig. It, it is so, <laughs> so eight and nineties evocative for me. Yeah, well, I mean, it for good reason. Yeah, it was. I don't really know why, but it was everywhere. Like Echo the Dolphin, 
had some conversations with whales in his various <laughs> games. Um, they were all over t-shirts, and I know I had more than one dolphin t-shirt. That's fucking spectacular, Brent. I would I never have guessed that, but that's fucking spectacular. <laughs> yeah, I'm also I'm also at a loss for why why did why were we so into dolphins in the nineties? What what prompted that? Was it Flipper? Uh, when did Flipper come out? No, Flipper was earlier. Okay, I uh, I'm I mean, at a loss. Free Willy. I, I think it had something to do with the. Uh, the pop environmentalism of the time. Mm. You had your Captain's Planet and mm. your uh, Greenspeace, uh, your, your Save the Rainforest campaigns. Okay, yeah. That sort of thing. I can That's see that. That's kind of, they were part of the, the big zeitgeist right then. And uh, I mean, there was that Talking Dolphin on Sequest DSV. This book has a lot going on. This book has a lot going on. Uh, I, I still find it impeccably funny. And I don't think I would have recognized this at the time, but the fact that. The dolphins in the gardens are all named after friends. The friends characters. Shit, yes. And they did not change that when they updated the cultural references. Oh Just my to God. tell you how evergreen the friends of friends are. Whew, that's shocking to me. That's shocking and upsetting to me that they wouldn't have changed that. <laughs> right? You'd think that they would have come up with some other group that they could have changed it to at this yeah. point. Yeah, any six other people... I can't imagine teens in in 2010 were like uh, hip to that friend stuff, but I mean, maybe they were. Was it on perpetual rerun like a lot of 80s shows oh, when we were coming up? That might be it. Yeah. And so here's some things that they did change Oof. in the re-release. Okay, page 14. Uh, Marco's talking about his dream. He's got that whole sequence in the original. Uh, it was Mister Rogers' Neighborhood and oh, King yeah. Friday. Yeah. They changed that to Sesame Street and Elmo. Oh. Which does seem more evergreen. I don't know if Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is still on. Yeah. Uh, still a weird one, I think, to pick when uh, <laughs> you've still got the friends in there. Uh, and then the other one, which was, it felt way more forced. Uh, I'm just going to read the lines yes. here. It's uh, it's when they're together talking about the dreams and Jake pulls out a VHS. Uh, in the original, Marco says, cool, let's watch a movie. And Jake responds, not a movie. And in the new one, Marco says, cool, a piece of prehistoric technology. And Jake replies, not everybody has DVR. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brent. Are you telling me that they didn't change the VHS portion of that reference? No, it is still a VHS tape that he puts in the player. It would have required a more comprehensive rewrite than the find replace that we've grown so used to so far. That's crazy. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. I can't, I can't believe that they wrote, rewrote the dialogue in order to keep the VA, VHS reference in there. Right? Does, does did anybody have a VHS? Maybe you had a VHS player hooked Ugh. up to your TV, but did anybody have it set up to actually record from the TV? Yeah, I could you I'm, buy blank VHS cassettes in, in 2010, 2011? I doubt it, but. Who am I to doubt the Animorphs? <laughs> well, now that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, so those, those are the two big changes in this re-release. I feel like that's the most substantial change that we've seen yet uh, yeah. in the cultural updates, and it was still lazy as balls. Yeah, that was a pretty substantial change. I, I'm, I'm really surprised and upset and mortified by that. <laughs> so speaking of dolphins and whales, so I, I got real 
I got real uh, excited by the sperm humpback whale coalition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- floating around. Yeah, that saved them. They had all those different types of whales just hanging out together. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, okay, I got you now, baby. I got you. Uh, I... <laughs> This is definitely not a thing that happens, so I went and looked it up, uh, and I couldn't figure out definitively whether or not different kinds of whales pal around with each other, but what I did find Mm -hmm. uh, during my Google search was an article uh, entitled The Social Lives of Whales from 2015 about a Dutch marine biologist named Fleur Visser. Whoa. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Studying some dolphins and whales. Oh my god. Uh huh. That's somehow so creepy. Right? It it I I did literally that Kermit the Frog thing with my arms when I saw it. I could not believe. Uh, did it have any useful information? Did it, it was it like really anti whale? Like fuck whales? Why are they always ruining my shit? I, I wish I could tell you, but I I, I even have the URL I can put in the show notes, but literally, uh, this article, when I hit her name, I blacked out for about three days and couldn't <laughs> find my house keys, and uh, I don't know what I did. Presumably, I recorded a bonus episode of some sort, just dedicated to this. Uh, it was too much synchronicity. My my mind couldn't handle it. <laughs> All right. Well, when we uncover that, that secret, totally unedited uh, Audacity file, we'll be sure to post it. <laughs> Let's save it for the Patreon. <laughs> uh, I found the whole, the whole, just everything with that whale was so crazy. And I mean, talk about 90s. I feel like there's something really late 80s, 90s-ish about whales being like this mystical ocean force and how they're like so in touch with everything and can... Have telepathy with animorphs transformed into dolphins. Yeah, and and specifically like having long conversations with dolphins. They're like the 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 shaman of the dolphin yeah. world. Yeah, that's crazy though. I don't know where that pop culture notion came from. Uh, I'm thinking that the '90s conception of the whale as spirit guide is way more associated with appropriated Native American mysticism than anything. Oh, I could see that. I feel like that was, I mean, that has always been a big thing and continues to be a big thing. I feel like that was especially egregious in the 90s. Like you'd see this scene airbrushed on the side of a van. Whoa, fuck. And it would be a whale and a, a Native American princess a la Pocahontas. Yeah, she'd be riding it on the back. Yeah, sure, maybe. Probably. That's, I mean, when I'm getting my fan commissioned, that's what it's going to look like. <laughs> when you get your full back tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole, yeah, the the whale mysticism was interesting, especially since this book, again, was really heavy with morality, which we haven't really gotten into very much in regards to, like, animal rights and the morality of taking an animal's form. I, I feel like that's really fascinating yeah it is sort of the first time that it occurs to any of them despite the fact that they've had all of these hard instincts bubble up before that there may be some sapience that's present in their morphs and that they might be in a weird way sort of recreating that sapience and what does that mean for that animal i i think it's it's really 
sort of in the vein of discussions about cloning and how that clone is its own separate entity and has its own thoughts and desires and life. And what does it mean that the Animorphs turn into that and turn into a clone of this animal and then sort of disregard that animal shape? Like, it's not quite killing the, that, that clone, but it is reabsorbing that clone back into themselves. I mean, it sort of, in a way, ties back into the struggle uh, that Tobias was having last book with his sort of weird mirror of the Yerk controller relationship. The sort of funhouse mirror held up to it. Cassie had some concerns about the fact that they can't explicitly ask a dolphin for permission to use its form. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely something that Cassie was talking about. But it, it was struck me as weird that she was really thinking about the ethics of morphing a dolphin pretty hard. Uh, and then at the end, Axe just sort of like is, yeah, I'm just going to morph all of you put together now. <laughs> that's bonkers. I think nobody that's says a thing about it. Super whack. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the fact that it happens is weird. And the fact that they don't really talk about it is weird. But like he he doesn't ask. He just acts just touches Jake and acquires his DNA and the others are like, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I know they get docile when when they go through that DNA acquisition experience, but I mean, that's especially crazy that they had the opportunity to ask permission and didn't. Brief sidebar, do you think that there is a fanfic in which they explore the possibility of reacquiring the same morph and using that as a legal high? <laughs> I maybe uh I think this is a I think there's probably a variant on rule 34 which says that if the if the dumb fan theory fanfic doesn't exist of it you have to make it uh so I don't sorry. think I have to make sorry, it sorry Brent I, don't think I, have to do I anything. think that's an internet rule I can't I'm sorry the internet is, uh... cops will arrest you if you don't God, what, is there a word for fanfic but for something that you hate. Ooh, anti-fanfic? That seems too on the nose. Well, anyway. that's academia. That's an actual <laughs> anti-fan is an academic term. All right, um, okay. Because they can't all be winners. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and, and sidebar, back to the, the morality of morphing a dolphin. Yeah, I think it's a fair question is that dolphins are intelligent in a lot of ways and we sort of... Look the other way at some dolphin behaviors, I think, because humans identify with them so much. And whether or not that's an accurate representation of dolphin intelligence is not is uh, above our pay grade uh, as amateur unpaid podcasters. <laughs> We're not even doing proper literary analysis on this. You can't expect <laughs> us to know anything about biology or animal sociology. Jesus. Absolutely not. That is not what we're here for. We're here for dumb internet jokes. <laughs> But I think it's a good question, especially, again, now that we have Axe acquiring human morphs and, and especially blending multiple morphs into one new creature, which also is crazy and they don't talk about. Yeah, they never bring that up again. I Yeah, I don't remember them ever because it OK, because if you discover if you dis you're an Animorph. It's it's day two. You discover that you can combine different animal DNA to make a new creature. Uh, hi, this is my new morph. It's a scorpion hawk. 
and it has lion paws because I can do whatever the fuck I want with animal DNA. Yeah, we're definitely going Monster Garage all up in here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, how are you not mix and matching every single morph you have? Just one of those little three-piece flip books. You build your own monster. <laughs> yeah, yes. I want the the head of a bear, and I want the body of uh, a cephalopod, and I want the the tail of... God, are there any good tails other than scorpion? Andalite. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess K.A. already already did that three-piece flip book and made the Andalites <laughs> with it. That's true. God, except she went with body of a deer? Yeah, that's a question mark. That, that'll throw you off. You, you got to mix it up sometimes. They can't all be perfect bear squid por- porpians. That was not a good portmanteau. No, that was yeah, one really got away from you. Yeah, Brent, if you were going to make a three-piece animal, what would you make? If, oh. if the perfect, let's say the perfect battle morph. Okay, yeah, because that was going to be my question. Are we talking about a war form here? Or are we talking about, like, my jaded mid-30s self <sighs> trying to come up with the least likely thing that can continue to live for <sighs> uh, beer money? Uh, I I mean, clearly my, my bear cephalopod uh, scorpion is the perfect battle morph, so pr- presumably <laughs> the perfect battle morph. God, I don't even know. I feel like... Um, Definitely going to get some sort of big cat involved or like a bear. Yeah. Bears are pretty good. So definitely get some uh, some grizzly in there. Good choice. And uh, do you think that you can morph just like the regenerative abilities mm. of a, a flatworm? Shit, that's a great question. We're getting into like some Spider-Man the lizard territory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't see, I mean, I don't think all the animorphs could, but maybe Cassie with her far superior morphing ability could. Let's say we're okay. all we're Cassie. Yeah, we're all Cassies of ourselves. Yeah, okay, and then okay. maybe also the skin of a shark because you touch that and mm. you sort of get cut. Mm. So if I if I'm limited to three, I think that's probably my three uh, my three B. Okay. Bears are already pretty great. Yeah, I mean that's a good battle morph, but it does it look bitchin' enough because one of those elements is invisible. I think that's a good. Okay, that was a good battle morph. Yeah, now, I. I Picture it looking sort of like a street shark from Street Sharks. Yeah, that's also what I'm imagining, yes. Complete with rollerblades and fingerless gloves. Okay, but what if you had to make like a bitchin', like the most bitchinest animal? Well, I don't know, probably a lot of... God, okay, then we get into whole questions about like, can you scale up the size of mm. insect parts and still Shit. have them able to respirate? Because there's... I want to say some physical limitations on the maximum size you can get for insects and arachnids yeah. with them still being able to live. That's fair. It's, this is uh, definitely time for some experimentation, I think. But Oh, yeah. Some really horrifying, nightmare-inducing experimentation. Yeah. Some, some real uh, Dr. Moreau shit. Yeah. I mean, if there are no limits, if there are no limits, I would want... My, my perfect morph would be a bear... With functioning wings. Mm, that's tough. That one's tough. So maybe a small bear with hollow bones. So you're sacrificing some stuff there uh, in terms of invulnerability. Uh, and uh, and the third choice would be opposable thumbs. Human opposable Ooh, thumbs. That's good because, yeah, uh, you got to make sure you size those so you can fire pistols too, probably. Yes, yeah, and get a little uh, bear holster and a, a bear 
uh, bandolier. And a bear-sized backpack full of doves to release when you <laughs> dual pistol at people John Woo style. We, oh, we're so, this is the 90s, the most 90s episode yet. Yeah, what we really need is like a GURPS style manual of animal advantages and disadvantages mm. that you have to balance out to zero that we can flip through to really min-max this shit. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I want to, I, I'm, I'm thinking Pathfinder, like I want a uh, poisonous, shocking scorpion bear. That's my more. Yeah, like uh, half demon, half dragon, half drow, yeah. uh, all, all dad, all knife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really, really very good. They don't even, I don't think they do this at all, though. And maybe there's like a limit where it has to be the same species. But even then, I feel like there's got to be some wiggle room. There's got to be some like primate wiggle room or bird wiggle room. There there has to be some. Well, and here's the thing. You don't even see Visser 3 doing this with his morphs, as far as I know. Because Axe, once they have Axe is identifying all of the stuff that he's turning into the giant like weird jellyfish tentacle tardigrade (laughs) thing that he turns into in the ocean uh to devour his enemies and by the way let's let's get into viscer three eating people again uh, here in a second that dude okay we'll get it we'll get into that but yeah, he, he you'd think that he would combine the most horrifying traits of all of these alien things, but he just seems to sort of phone it in. Yeah, I thought it was especially funny that Axe recognizes that creature immediately and gets so upset that the Vizzer took one of the Andalite's animal morphs. I think he said it was from one of their moons, an ocean yeah, on yeah. one of their moons. And he was like, I'm so, how dare he take one of our animals and use our animals? And then like two lines later admits that he doesn't really remember what they're like called or what they look like because <laughs> he learned about it in school, but he wasn't really paying attention. I thought that was the fucking stealth funniest thing in any of these books that i've read so far no uh totally right there it's really where she hammers home the point that axe is an alien teenager yeah who for some reason is on a warship yeah for no explanation and is the only one who survived Mm -hmm. the crash they don't really talk about that either but he is the only one there well they sort of did they said he uh they they ejected the dome portion of the ship um for combat and then it it just sort of fell to earth. And I guess he inexplicably being the only juvenile on there was forced to bail in the saucer section when yeah. they go to the war bridge. That's the uh, optimistic reading. I just assumed that there were other people on that dome that did not when survive the them? crash. What? No, oh. he's a deer. <laughs> <laughs> not everything is about cannibalism, except for Visor 3. So let's talk about Visor 3 wanting to fucking eat everything. God, that's his that's his go-to move. Yeah, I think I, I objected to K.A. Applegate's uh, devouring things fetish earlier, but I think we have to call it, because that seems to be a major part of her concept of horror, is eating things and getting eaten. And I think more specifically, it's become one of the Visser's uh, defining traits yeah. is his, his obsession with devouring his enemies. Yeah, I mean, he, he opens by literally eating 
Prince uh, Elfangor uh-huh. threatens to eat Chapman and and yeah, various other Yerks. Not even their hosts; they're actual Yerks yeah. like us. Yeah, it, that's a thing. Like that is Vizzer's. That's his like main go-to threat, and he can back it up because he can tra- transform into whatever animal he wants. I mean, it seems like it would be way less trouble to just Dracon beam some motherfuckers because apparently those things have stopping power like, whoa. Yeah, they can so, cut right through a, a spaceship windshield. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it a windshield if there's no air? Oh, God, that's a fucking good question. What would you call it then? Oh. Uh, Front glass? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, spaceship front glass. <sighs> That's as bad as anti-fan. <laughs> so, God, the fucking Vizzer. The Vizzer side, I, I want to circle back to uh, discussions we've had in previous episodes about how much consciousness gets transferred uh, from the, the DNA acquisition process. Because we've talked about this a couple other episodes. Mm-hmm. And this is really... I think a super important question, again, given the the morality of acquiring morphs, if it's an intelligent morph, how is that going to interact with taking that that animal's form? It's been kind of inconsistent so far, and I'm not... At first, I was sort of like, oh, these are the early books. It's probably been through a couple rewrites. But Axe knows English. He speaks English. That's so weird. When he acquires all of their morphs. Yeah, it's... It implies that there is some amount of memory that's transferred with the DNA pattern. Yeah, it strongly implies that because they, they're pretty, the books are pretty explicit about the fact that the Andalites don't necessarily communicate in words exactly so much as they do like sort of images and impressions. So for Axe to, to take this morph and to be able to speak any amount of English, but also enough English to communicate and hypothetically pass as human that has to be a lot of memory yeah it it really puts jake's whole thing in his dog's morph about recognizing urine scent uh in a new light and it it raises a lot of other questions too because if he just if axe made a morph that was all of the other animorphs how much of their consciousness is he now dealing with in that morph yeah because I don't, I mean, we have to assume that it's some, I, and because he speaks English, we have to assume it's more than just basic human impulses, um, which we are so far divorced from, I don't even know what it would be moment to moment offhand. I think they mostly involve Cinnabon. God, I think I might have to get some Cinnabon for book five. Uh, <laughs> that might have to be a taste treat for myself. thing about it is they never really resolve Cassie's whole ethical dilemma, they just sort of end up no. saying, well, war is hell, raw is war. See you in the squared <laughs> circle on Monday night. Yeah, I mean, we have that little interlude at the end of the book, which I feel like is supposed to put a cap on it. I like. I feel like that's K.A. Applegate's way of being like, well, this is good enough for now, but I don't, I don't know if it was good enough for me. But this idea that's sort of like, the dolphins don't give a fuck, because they're not really as intelligent as... as they have a space specific kind of intelligence, and it's not the kind of intelligence that gives a fuck about morality. Yeah, and it, it sort of read to me as Cassie convincing herself that, well, I don't seem to mind when I'm a dolphin 
and the dolphins will be gotten rid of if the Yerks take over anyway, so they'd probably say yes, so this is probably fine, and I should just repeat to myself it's just a show, and I should really just relax. Yeah, and that's an interesting... A sort of interesting compromise for, I think, Cassie to make, because she's been the most, I, I'm not going to say pacifist, I don't think she's been necessarily pacifist, but she's been the most reserved about the more brutal aspects of the war. Mm-hmm. Like, Marco's objections are very personal, and I think they're very reasonable, but Cassie's objections are seem to be sort of like, is this the best use of our powers? Uh, are we being too destructive, th- those sorts of concepts. And I feel like this was really like a sort of a turning point for her character where she just sort of have to, I mean, like you said, like war is hell. You yeah. gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. It's, it's the heart, the heart and moral compass of the group making her first mm. compromise. Yeah. And it, it's played off as not very grim, but when you put it like that, that's really grim. Yeah. I think, uh, we may be recontextualizing it as grim, given what we know of future mm. books. Yeah, that's true. Uh, on the other hand, like, there's some pretty grim shit going on in this. Marco gets bitten in half. Yeah, he hits his tail, like, just about bitten right off. And that also leads questions as to what happens if one of them loses a limb in a morph. I mean, I presume that they'll just be able to morph right out but there's a question about conservation of mass that uh, has never been satisfied satisfyingly answered for me yeah the fact that like broken bones don't transfer through the dna pattern uh sort of implies that they would just morph back with their original limb but then on the other hand you're right there's a conservation of mass thing and then on the third hand they turn into ants in one book so like where's all that mass going anyway yeah i actually wrote i have I have explicit memories of thinking about that exact question. Uh, As a kid writing like Animorphs fan fiction, that was a real confusing aspect for me when I started learning about like physics and matter and energy. I remember having explicit concerns about what that was. I think maybe I read this in a fanfic or maybe this is uh, just how I conceptualized it. But I always pictured that there is this that all of their extra matter was being transported somewhere out into space and that there was just an area of space that was full of like fat (laughs) (laughs) and like human bones and hair and skin and organs and matter. And that it's just sort of out there. And when they morph, they're drawing on that sort of resource pool of matter to make themselves giant into an elephant. And then when they shrink down to an ant, all of their extra mass is going out into that weird... I I have the... It's a very vivid image of almost like a satellite just sort of (laughs) revolving. Yeah, just sort of a flesh... Just a flesh meteor sort of hanging out in space, just waiting to be called on. You might have gotten part of that from how Marvel dealt with the issue in Ant-Man, where they had it being shunted to an extra-dimensional space. Okay. Uh, it's Yeah, it's very possible that this was drawn from some other... That, that this was some bullshit sci-fi explanation from some other franchise that I just transferred. Well, it's definitely a bullshit sci-fi explanation because <laughs> it's solving the conservation of mass by positing that instant teleportation exists without massive <laughs> amounts of energy, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's you're trading off one 
a sci-fi problem for another. It's not a great solution. I really want... (sighs) So Larry Niven did this thing with the Ringworld books where his readers would write into him after every book pointing out all of the like science problems that were caused (laughs) by his sci-fi universe and then in the next Ringworld book he would like come up with explanations for why things were that way or why the characters have been wrong and it was actually a different way and so (laughs) his science just got tighter and tighter through the efforts of nerds writing him I really like that. I want an alternate timeline where Kay Applegate is doing that for the Animorphs books. I really want that. Sure. Okay. So when they re-release the Animorph books in 2020 and they update it, they can update all the science as well. Man, they'd have to have (laughs) Kay rewriting it or at least one of the ghostwriters. It just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be. I mean, it definitely isn't based on the rewrite that you read earlier this episode. (laughs) Right. Right. It's extremely low effort. One of the other, speaking of Cassie's morality turn, I I mean, we've talked a little bit about what a kind of a shit leader Jake is. And I mean, he's a teen, it's fine. But I, his the plan, the plan that they had was bad. That they were just going to sit on a ship and hang out and then just sort of slough off into the sea as dolphins. Okay, how are you getting back, I- Jake? feel like the plan was bad is something that we're going to say like every episode pretty much because it was bad in three it was bad in two yeah one was maybe the most solid plan they ever had and look how that turned out they saved one whole person which is a much better rate i guess they're yeah they saved hecate so they're on par in this book having also saved exactly one person (laughs) so that's their that's their high score so far. Bless them, they keep trying. Yeah, I don't know that they get a lot better, but I guess we'll learn together. <laughs> we will. That's what this podcast is all about. That's beautiful. And hopefully you, our readers, will learn with us. Well, that's such a good ending. I, I feel bad about stepping on it. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I mean, you can always cut that and put it in towards the end. Maybe. We'll see. Uh... I, that's the end of my notes, and I know we I, we may come in a little under this episode, but I we went over a little on my cut of last episode because there was just too much good stuff. There's too much good stuff every episode. I did want to point out I really liked that Rachel had like an inspiration board and that it was covered in <laughs> quotes from like Sun Tzu. Yes, her- <laughs> I just I like that in her off time. She's doing gymnastics and getting all her homework done and going to the mall and also reading up on war theory and <laughs> <laughs> putting together her war-based vision board. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, envisioning the future that she wants and uh, it's to, to defeat her enemies in very literal combat. It's a boot stomping on a yerk forever. Yeah, it's a good aesthetic. <laughs> not quite as aesthetic as dolphins and whales and pastels but Oof. it'll do yeah i mean i if, if lisa frank made a trapper keeper with a boot stomping on a yerk i would have bought it yeah i think i would have been in for that too actually but thanks for joining us again this week for Fandalites. next week we're going to be doing book five the predator uh an ominous title i don't think it probably involves mike's hard lemonade <laughs> but you never know 
Rachel did almost get abducted that one episode. Yeah, there's a lot of different predators and a lot of different prey, but I think this one's probably going to be pretty literal. Yeah, I imagine so. I imagine so. <laughs> um, so if you've got questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up at Fandalites on Twitter. Write us, uh, Fandalites at gmail.com. Um, please read along with us if yeah. no and maybe we'll bring it up or, or read your letter or something. Yeah, and if our if our science is really shoddy in an uh, episode and you have thoughts about how we can make it better, um, don't. <laughs> right, we're not Larry Niven. We don't give a fuck, Yeah, nerds. we don't give a fuck. Sorry, we don't give a fuck. But do read all- along the book. If there's anything that we didn't talk about that you thought was really interesting or important, that I'm interested in hearing about. Yes. Uh, also, if you've got any choice fan fiction... Oh, uh, fuck yes. Please feel free to send us links to that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks to Dustin O'Dell for uh, letting us use his music for the intro and outro. You can find his stuff on dustinodell.bandcamp.com. Um, get his album. It's good. Throw him some coin. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave oh, yeah. a review if you like it. Tell your friends if they'd enjoy it. Let them know. Read it together. What if there was like an Animorph book club that you and your friends did and it made you closer that's what Brett and I are doing. You should do it too. Hey, thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, do it with us. Do, do it with, with us. us. All right, we'll see you next time, folks. <laughs> we'll see ya. Uh, and remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>